Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Broadstairs Consulting believes that crisis isn't an if, it's a when. And although we are unafraid of crisis, we've never known one to be resolved in a single day. However long the day or night that gave rise to it in the first place, there's always something we can learn. Tune in now to The Longest Day, a short and snappy weekly crisis podcast where we interview leaders about crises emerging on their watch. New episodes released every Thursday. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hi, hello and welcome. It's me, Royful Brown, and I'm in sunny Burlington, some 30 miles outside of the good city of Toronto in North America. Today, we're going to talk about my hometown, Birmingham, which is going through somewhat of an existential crisis. Joining me today, we have Professor Carlchin, MBE. He's a Brummy historian of some repute in the city. He's a broadcaster and author. He's widely recognised for his work on the social and economic history of the city of Birmingham. We have journalist Jane Hayes, the award-winning politics and people editor of Birmingham Live and The Post, and she was shortlisted for the British Press Awards in 2022. Alongside her, we have Jez Collins, who's the founder of the Birmingham Musical Archive, a cultural arts organisation dedicated to capturing, documenting and celebrating Birmingham's rich musical cultural heritage. Jez is a social and cultural entrepreneur. And lastly, we have Alex Yip, a Conservative councillor for the City of Birmingham, representing Sutton Coldfield Wild Green. Also, he serves as a shadow member for social justice, community safety and equalities. He was elected in 2015. Have I got that just about right, everyone? Perfect. Now, Britain's second biggest city has effectively declared itself bankrupt this week after revealing an £87 million deficit for the financial year. Birmingham City Council has paused all essential services and its leaders say tough decisions will have to be taken in the days ahead. With more details, here's our UK correspondent, Benedict Pevue. Birmingham City Council is in fact 
the largest local authority in the whole of Europe. And the Labour-run council has defended itself. It says it serves more than one million people. Yes, it has had to issue what is called here a section 114 to due to what they call unprecedented financial challenges. And therefore, it means that it can no longer balance its financial books, its budget. It certainly cannot commit to any new spending. And it largely blames its financial predicament on outstanding equal pay claims worth up to £760 million, more than its annual budget for services. So it announced last month that it was facing a budget shortfall uh, for 2023 to 2024 of over £164 million. The reality is that across England and Wales, across the UK, Many uh, other local councils uh, are in difficulties. Certainly in England and Wales, some are under severe financial pressure as a result of whether it's rising uh, social care costs, certainly soaring inflation and reduced income. Jane, I'm going to start with you. The headline is that this is an equal pay claim that the city just cannot hope to pay back anytime soon. Could you give us the background to that and why the city has found itself in its current state. Hi, and thanks for having me. Um, I'm actually sitting in my uh, company's office in the heart of Birmingham and uh, looking out over the city, you'd think that uh, nothing had changed, but uh, pretty much everything has changed. We have commissioners coming into Birmingham very shortly who are effectively going to take over running city council. The reason we're here... um, in a nutshell, I think it takes us back a few years, actually. In 2017, we had a bin strike here in Birmingham. A rubbish wasn't collected for several weeks, and it was uh, quite a chaotic period. It ended with a settlement and a resolution. We've now learned, open the door, really, to more equal pay claims. So in the period since, in the six years since, the city has failed quite miserably to produce a job pay and grading scheme for the city that would address the problems that they essentially had got sitting there. What this has meant really is that thousands of its employees potentially have equal pay claims against the council because it's allowed discriminatory practices to persist. Mostly this has affected women, workers, This huge wadger of equal pay claims are sitting there unresolved. What the City Council has now told us is that after they've scrutinised the potential liability, they've come up with this figure of £650 to £760 million as their potential liability. This has appeared to come out of nowhere, but it's clearly been sitting there for six years unresolved and the Council has failed to grasp what it needs to do to stop these claims, having credibility, really. It's a dire uh, state of affairs. There have been multiple failures that have led us to this point. Um, Now what we desperately need is for the City Council to grip this, resolve the underlying inequalities that uh, brought us to this place and get on with running the city. Councillor, let's come to you. How much of this current crisis is the bad luck of this administration being in place now. Very obviously, they weren't, dare I say, excuse the French, screwing over these women from the 70s, 80s and 90s. And 
the city has to pay these women back their recompense. I, I say none of this is bad luck. I think a lot of this is purely misadministration and inaction. And what Jane's giving us a very fair summary of background. The current administration, so it's a Labour run authority, they came into power in 2012. And as Jane says, all these liabilities come from 2017 because it's a maximum of six years back. And it's from 2017 that, as Jane says, they have been unable to grip what is an inequality between men and female staff that council are employing. And it's about 2,000 cases. And they haven't dealt with this for six years. And this liability is growing by about £14 million a month. And uh, as your opening piece says, so there's a Section 114 uh, notice, which uh, means the council has been effectively declared bankruptcy. They've actually been forced to issue a second notice because of the inaction over the last four months. So that gives you a sense around what the administration is doing. They have this inequity within their staff. They haven't dealt with it for six years. It's growing. They're unable to grasp the situation. And it's directly led to the bankruptcy of the whole city. And as you said, so it's about £760 million. That's equivalent to the entire revenue of the whole council in one year. And for the council to turn around and say they suddenly discovered this and they didn't know about it only of the last couple of months is utterly disingenuous because they've known that there was an equal pay liability. They just haven't dealt with it. Carl, you're a historian. Is this fundamentally the biggest crisis that the city has ever faced since incorporation? I think there's been other crises and council will know himself that there was an equal pay problem under the previous Conservative and Lib Dem administration. That was paid out in the end. But yes, in my opinion, as a historian, this is the biggest crisis in the history of the city because the problems just seem to be mounting one on top of the other. Not only the equal pay problem, but the IT problem, where originally I think it was supposed to be about 19 million, but it's gone up to, I don't know, something like 100 million. Perhaps Jane or Jess can correct me on that. There's also other problems that are with taxing of, uh, there's, there's lots of problems mounting, but I, I think we also need to bear in mind that whilst the council can be blamed for much of this, central government, a conservative government, has been sucking the life out of local government. And from my perspective as a historian, we need to restore power to local governments. And the only way in this country that there is power is through money. And the only way that you can get money is to raise it yourself and to be free of the iron grip of Westminster. Uh, and we're going to come on to maybe restructuring how local authorities are financed by central government later, because as somebody spends half my time of the year in California, it's so radically different the way that the Canadians and the Americans do it. But we'll come to that later. Jez, as our kind of cultural ambassador city of Birmingham, how embarrassing has the last week been considering that 12 months ago we're all incredibly proud to call ourselves Brummies because we hosted the most successful Commonwealth Games. I'm not embarrassed at all. I don't think the city should be embarrassed. It's it's in a financial crisis, but you know, embarrassment's a very loaded term, I think. Uh, and I think it's, as Carl has said, it's a crisis that's perhaps unprecedented, in, certainly in my lifetime. I, I'm not sure that I would share Carl's, it's the worst thing ever. You, know, you think about the Second World War, the First World War, I think where millions of people have, have died in the city has, has risen. I think the, the fall or the reduction in manufacturing and the, and the huge job losses that the city has faced and the skill shortage. I think we have 42% of children living in poverty 
in the city, which is a national disgrace. So I think there are other things that, that are, are, are as equally as bad, but we do find ourselves in a, in a really difficult situation after what was, for me, as a, uh, a cultural organisation, possibly the best of times last year uh, and seeing the city come to life with millions of people coming into the city to uh, see what Birmingham is about, discovering it perhaps for the first time or rediscovering it. And, and the amount of, you talked about people saying you should speak to Jane today, the amount of people I had saying, oh, I didn't know Birmingham was like, nice like this or as good as this or Birmingham looked like this. So it is, it's a shame, I think, more than embarrassment. It's a shame that we find ourselves in, in this situation. I, I want to pick up or, or just really support Carl's assertion. I think this the, the initial pay claim was in 2007 that went to a Supreme Court where the ruling was that the city had to pay out in 2012. And it was the council was actually in a, there was no overall control there, but Mike Witt was the leadership. And it's not the only council that is facing this. It's the only council that I'm aware of has had to pay out such large amounts because it took that decision to go to court. I, there will be, or there are, I should say, there won't will be, but I think it's 26 other, or 20 other councils are currently un, undergoing the same sort of review from various unions across the country. So I expect more of these issues to, to come out. I think you cannot rule out 10, 15 years of austerity, as Carl has pointed out, under central government, in the back end of, of Labour as well, I should point out. But we've had austerity. I think the... Yes, uh, I want to just pause you there because you've come on perfectly to the next point which I wanted to make, which is that Birmingham's situation, economic situation, seems to be exacerbated by austerity by the cuts since 2010, which the government, the Conservative administration, specifically George Osborne, has put across all of public spending. And that seems to have exacerbated some of the chronic instances of poverty within the city. Councillor, isn't this also a damning indictment, not only of our central government funding model for councils, but also a chronic lack of investment in people and infrastructure of which Birmingham has suffered greatly because it has such a relatively young population. There's a couple of things on that. So firstly, what Carl said around about the city. So it's important to remember that the city is still open for business. Um, we are a thriving city. There's a lot of opportunities investment with businesses as well. So I do want to make clear when we say bankrupt, we're not actually bankrupt. Everything is still going on as normal. In terms of the cuts and what Jed said around austerity. So it's important to remember that the council has got a shed load of money. It is the largest authority in Europe. And yes, it's had a lot of the money taken away from it because what we are calling in terms of efficiency measures to try and get councils to spend money or more effectively, of course, that's led to a downturn in the money that it actually has. But alongside that, there has also been a huge amount of money wasted that the council has had. For example, many of your listeners may have visited Birmingham, so perhaps they've gone to the NEC for concerts. Now, the NEC was sold back in 2015 to settle the previous equal pay claim for about 300 million quid. It was then privately resold four years later for 800 million quid. So this gives you an example of the real mismanagement of some of the city's assets. We've talked about the Commonwealth Games, so they built a Commonwealth village for athletes that did house a single athlete in the end, and that was at a huge amount of cost to the public purse. And there's lots of these examples of vanity projects. So I firmly believe that money is available. It's just been frittered away. And then you've mentioned other councils. So other councils have had cuts to their budgets. You mentioned the ones that are perhaps going and also declared Section 114 notices. 
So a lot of them are due to misinvestments, buying certain farms, buying properties, risky investments like this. What's happened with the bankruptcy of Birmingham is directly linked to them not dealing with this equal pay. What's happened in terms of budget cuts is secondary. But, but, but surely, though, council, it can't be it can't be underestimated that all local authorities within the UK take a very small amount of money actually from local taxes compared to any other G7 economy, that they are actually constrained. And some councils have had to be, let's say, more creative as to how that they actually maybe try and increase their budget, considering that Birmingham in the Commonwealth Games wanted to levy a hotel tax and central government said no. So it wasn't as if the city council weren't doing anything at all. But just on that, because few people have now mentioned high prestige schemes. So we've had the Commonwealth Games, we had the library, which some people physically love the way that it looks, some people hate, but it's a high prestige scheme. Lots of development within the city centre. We've got HS2, we've got Smithfield, Paradise, Digbeth Redevelopment. Jane, has the council in the last, let's say, 10 15 years, just taking their eye off the ball with all of these glitzy schemes and forgotten about Brummies in Lozells, Aston, Neitchells, etc. It's certainly a, a, an argument that has been had. It's been had within the Labour group in Birmingham, whether there is too much of a focus on the city centre and on, as you say, the big ticket items and not enough on the deprivation and quality of housing, quality of services that are delivered to the majority of their residents, the majority of the people at Birmingham live in, you know, the inner city suburbs that skirt the city centre. You've touched on a few of them, Lazelle's, Hansworth, up to kind of Erdington, out to Druid's Heath. These are areas that have got desperate poverty. But I don't think it's fair to suggest that if we only focus on those people, we could let the city centre essentially fall apart. It is the flagship of the city. It's a draw for investors. It's really important and I do understand why the City Council will want some of these prestige projects to succeed, often with private support and private backing. But it does feel to a lot of people that the balance has been too much weighted towards investment opportunities and sacrificing perhaps a focus on initiatives that support the poorest in the city. We have got the shocking figure that 42% of our children are being raised in poverty. In some of the areas of the city, that is up to 60, 70%. The vast majority of children in some of our poorest areas are living in very impoverished households. I spoke to a food project only yesterday who were taking emergency provisions to a pregnant woman who hadn't eaten for three days because she could only afford to feed her the children that she's currently got rather than nurturing her kind of unborn child. We've got children who only eat a meal a day. I wrote about a youth worker who developed a secret pamphlet with kids who attended his youth club so they could let him know if they got no food in the house. This is the reality of young Brummies. That is shameful. Its relevance to Birmingham's current financial crisis is obviously for dispute. And I know Alex will say that that the section more than four notices issued don't don't mention austerity. They don't mention austerity cuts as the cause. But when you've had the equivalent of a billion pounds stripped out of your services, you've had to halve your council workforce, 
it is going to mean those staff who remain are under more and more pressure, that they're going to miss things, they're going to make mistakes, things are going to take longer to be done. And I don't think we can underestimate the impact of that. So it, it isn't as straightforward as do we do glitzy things or do we look after the poor? We have to have a combination of the two. And it's just about getting the balance to make sure that one doesn't outweigh the other, if you like. Yeah, I wonder if I could pick up two points. I agree wholeheartedly with what Jess said earlier on. The point I was making, Jess, was not this was the worst thing in the city's history as a city, but the worst thing for the corporation of Birmingham, the city council. 2,000 children, 41 brummies died in the Second World War. Tens of thousands died or were injured in the First World War. That, that under the, the Thatcher government of the 1980s and the Blair government after it, our, our manufacturing industry was decimated, which led to, which has led to some of the, the dire poverty that we see in our cities. I agree with you, there's lots of other things worse happened to the people of Birmingham, but to the corporations in 1838, this has to be the worst thing. Picking up on what Jane said, Roy, so very quickly, is that it's about the balance, as Jane said. For 30 odd years, we've heard council leaders from all different parties say, if we invest in the city centre, it will trickle out to the neighbourhoods. I can tell you this, it has not trickled out to the neighbourhoods. We are an increasingly a sale of two cities, a gentrified wealthy city centre that's expanding and pushing the poor out, an outer ring, whether it's from the inner ring out, as Jane said, from areas like Spark Hill, Sparkbrook, out to Billsley, where I live, and other places, to Drury T, Marty Hall, etc., where there is a feeling of exclusion crossing all the different peoples of Birmingham, uniting the working class in a feeling of disillusion of the gentrification. And it's not just the city council with vanity projects. Many people would look at the mayor of the West Midlands with his vanity projects, as some people would say, of the metro system. Others would look at why is the mayor giving £5 million to a 42-storey development in Delhi Tend, which will destroy the historic landscape. It's not just the Labour Council, it's the national government, it's the mayor, it's as if the whole of the working class of Birmingham are being buffeted by winds pouring in from every direction. I'm going to take a little bit of a pause there and then I'm going to come to you, Jez, because as somebody who spends the vast majority of my time outside of Birmingham, I can't help but notice the energy that there is in the city centre with the building and then with the poverty that I see in places like Small Heath, Saltley, Alum Rock. And as I travel the world, it becomes even more stark how the outer inner bits of Birmingham are falling behind. But a year ago, we were all singing along t- to this little ditty. Well, all right then, if you don't believe we are sculpting, yeah, it's a broad thing. Definitely, we're building up this city without no apology. Where we The 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham were a triumph of togetherness and teamwork at a time when the world needed it most. Arguably the most connected games of all. The Commonwealth Games is one of the world's largest multi-sporting events. 
So 22 venues in all. And the outcome was uh, was fantastic. Yeah, we delivered the games and it was a huge success. At the end of the day, we also were looking at opportunities to leave legacy. And so all of those connections to all of those venues are legacy. But the really important legacy, I think, is one of nudging the way a city and a region feels about itself by a degree or two. An event like this is almost unique in its ability to do. It was an unmitigated success. I think we did an incredible job. It's Birmingham 2022. Take great pride in what they deliver. City bad man, pandy, television. Peaky blind, that's how we call it bad land. Home of the Blues Villa and West Bram, Bourneville, Fort Dunlap, British Mainland, New Street, Snow Hill, Moor Street Station, UK Connection, Spaghetti Junction. Ah. It's a brum thing, it's a brum thing. It's a brum thing, it's a brum thing. Hashtag 0121 is a place friendly fire come from. It's a brum thing, it's a brum thing. It's a brum thing, it's a brum thing. Now this is what is a east, it's a west. I didn't realise that you got a name check, Mr. Cartoon, right at the start. You're such a part of the firm of the city of Birmingham that we can't sing about the city of Birmingham without giving you a name check. I had the name check, but I wasn't involved with the games in any capacity whatsoever. Gotcha. Jez, how can culturally how important and this i'm going off script here how important culturally is going to be the regeneration of let's say digbeth in terms of music arts etc if we have 41 percent, 42 percent of brummy kids growing up in poverty okay that's a really big question i want to very briefly just a bit of context to jane's point earlier my first job ever in 1985 was at the city council. And when I joined, they had a workforce of 55,000 people. It's now down to about 13,000. That's what, 30 odd, odd, odd years ago, within 30 odd years. So that has a massive effect. Something that I haven't, hasn't been mentioned, I don't think, but is really important, and perhaps pick up some later, I'd be interested in Alex's views, is the, the huge turnover of chief execs that we've had that does give us continuity. But that is a big issue, I think, in terms of the connection between the political leadership and, and the workforce. That's the, a massive one. In terms of the question you just asked, I think it goes back to what, what Carl has mentioned around the change in nature of Birmingham and how a lot of working class communities feel disenfranchised from maybe the city centre, maybe from even other areas like Mosley or Sutton or wherever, and it's becoming slightly, slightly fragmented, which is never the case in, in my And if you look at Digbeth in particular, now I'm doing some work with developers in, in Digbeth. We have this acute housing crisis in Birmingham, both, and Jane can talk about this, with uh, some expertise, we have the housing stock, which is in a terribly dilapidated state, awful state. So living conditions in the house that we have is dire and needs to be fixed. Then we have a housing shortage, uh, whether it's private rented, whether it's um, you know, social housing for a growing population. And so areas like uh, Digbeth, as, as Carl will attest to, slum clearances, move people out, dis, dis, you know, just disperse them, broke up communities, that has some knock-on effect to where we are today. But now the City Council will want to bring people back in and to repopulate those areas. And the work that I do around Digbeth and when I speak to other developers is I understand great cities change. They always change. The landscape change. The communities change. They have to change. They have to adapt. But it's about how change is done. And that's the key point for me. How do we make those changes and bring those communities along with us and also so they benefit? And I think uh, it's much, it's to much credit to some of the officers in, in the city council with their new Our City Future plan, where they are saying, okay, we understand the city centre is the financial heartbeat. That needs to grow. There's a new report out, which we can talk about later. 
that needs to grow. But that investment needs to trickle down to Lazales, to Nietzsche's, to Smalley, to Sparkville, to Sparkill, and further out to Liz, uh, up to Perry Bar. So there is this thing that I think these things have to happen, but it's about how it's done and how that investment, whether it's in jobs, whether it's in infrastructure, whether it's in the services that provide that these things raise, that this money brings in, has that uh, impact and hopefully carved that. And then that starts making those communities feel that this city belongs to them and is for them. Councillor, there was an extraordinary meeting at the council house yesterday, which obviously was talking about the section 114 notice. What was that atmosphere like? So it was very frustrating and it's more of a technicality really because the section 114 notice, so we have to approve the decision that the office has taken and it lays out the framework for next steps. But as has been said already, Birmingham is a vibrant city, youngest city in Europe, largest city in Europe. James touched on the library. It's got a wonderful Shakespeare collection up on top. I used to be a trustee at the CBSO, wonderful institution, great music. We've got lots of plays and things going on. There's a huge amount of history. Do come and enjoy the city because what the, what's happening is still within the authority within Birmingham City Council. But the city is very much still open. Um, in terms of next steps moving forward, so there is um, a plan that's been laid out. So it will need restructuring of the council. We'll need to um, maybe look at council taxes, look at the services being provided. But the main difficulty for the moment is twofold. So one, with assets, uh, which we'll need to uh, value and sell off in order to try and contribute towards paying down the debt. But also what is deemed as statutory services and what level of service can we provide to meet that statutory obligation? For example, BINS is a statutory service. It's commonly weekly. That may reduce down to fortnightly. There's other ring fence services that we have to provide. Uh, we have to make sure we do that for properly and appropriately. But then other organisations, charities... Councillor, is... is there a real attitude on both sides of the aisle that we need to knuckle down, right? That's what I was tr trying to allude to by asking about the, what was the tenor of that meeting yesterday. I'm going to come to Jane because Jane reported on it and reported on, on, on it live, on, on the Birmingham Live website. But are we going to put aside partisan politics now and actually try and deliver for Brummies? In my view, there's understanding what's caused this and having a proper understanding of who's responsible, what has happened, why has the city become bankrupt? And then only once we've got that sorted, can we move forward? And I think the meeting yesterday was a four-hour meeting. Jane and I were in the chamber together. It was, it was frustrating in the sense that, again, Labour councillors were pivoting towards austerity, blaming council cuts, saying that they didn't know about the liability. Our line's very firm that it's been known about since 2017, that it had nothing to do with council cuts because council had declared only last year that it was the soundest, best financial situation they've been for three decades. So in my mind, we have to get clear on what's caused it and who's responsible. Only then can we move forward in actually coming together, as you say, knuckling down, getting behind the plan and moving forward. Because until we've got that real sense of accountability, who knew what, when, why anything wasn't done for six years? Why has the largest authority in Europe suddenly realised a £760 million hole that they've only suddenly realised the past couple months? It's, it's just so implausible. So until we've got that, I find it very hard to move on because we need that accountability. We need answers. Jane, you were there reporting. Could you set the scene for us? What, what did you see? What did you think the, the feeling was in the council chamber last night? 
It was very somber, but I have to say, despite the the jabs that were being thrown, there were no kind of critical kind of knockout blows delivered. This was a chamber that was politically divided with two different narratives being focused on. Um, Getting to the heart of who knew what and when and why this has happened is absolutely vital. I I agree with Councillor Yip that we, we need to have those answers, but and probably because of the meeting, the decisions that were being made last night, the focus was very much on holding people to account. But really sitting there listening for four hours to quite a lot of repetition of arguments and debate, what was lacking was the presence of 1.1 million people in Birmingham. There was so little reference to the impact and the, how this was playing out in the city um, and elsewhere. There was certainly reference to it. I'm not suggesting nobody talked about that. But this was very much about scoring political points and making political headway, if you like, which it was inevitable. That was partly how the meeting was set up. There, there was no Q&A session in it, so it wasn't a chance for opposition councillors, for example, to ask questions of anybody or to push for answers. Instead, they had to essentially make a monologue and leave questions hanging in the air. So it was important to do that, but there was never going to be an answer on the night. I hope that over the coming weeks, and there will be more of these meetings, and certainly when we get up to the emergency budget meeting next month, which will look at the impact on residents and what this will mean, that the the plight of sort of 1.1 million people who've done nothing wrong other than live in Birmingham will be at the forefront of these debates. Councillor, you wanted to jump in. Thank you. And Jane's absolutely right. So we're at the start of a very long process. So we've got this first meeting, which happened last night, finished at 10 in the evening. There'll be a second emergency meeting because of the second one up notice. There'll be a third meeting because of the budget. There'll be full council. And then, of course, we do have commissioners coming in at some point. Government appointed individuals who will oversee and instruct the council moving forward. And they've got a very wide range of powers. So we actually don't know how much control they're going to seek to take control of the city, what decisions they're going to make. And we are looking at a journey of years. So this will take a long time and it's going to have very wide reaching implications. Yesterday was very much, as you say, just laying out the, the, the groundwork and going through the, the, the necessities of the paperwork of approving the, the notice and trying to lay down the seat in terms of accountability. But I do imagine at some point, everyone is going to be very severely tested because of the serious decisions that we're going to have to take moving forward. Before I come to how do we get out of this mess, Carl, are we still the second city in the United Kingdom? Can we actually claim that? For me, Royfield, I think it's a pathetic, useless, meaningless title. Who wants to be second best? For me, Birmingham is second to none. Now, that does not mean we're better than Manchester, who is that as seen as our rival. But what Birmingham, Manchester, Leeds, Sheffield, and the great towns and cities of the Midlands and North to be doing, instead of rowing over the pathetic, meaningless title of Second City, we should be working together to fight for democracy in our towns and cities. I can't bear this title of the Second City. In terms of size, yes, 1.1 million. Birmingham is far bigger than Manchester as a city, even if you include Salford on top of Manchester. But they're not entitled. Let's be proud of who we are. We're second all the time. One of the ways in which we see the change between the gentrified city centre 
and the rest of Birmingham is there's only one part of the city centre where all Brummies of all backgrounds, all creeds, colours and religions meet equally, and that's the boring markets, and they're declining. They're tatty. They're in need of investment. And not one politician has stood up to fight for the markets. Birmingham could never have been Birmingham without the markets. They drew in the people. So there's a lot that needs to be looked at. And I just wish some of the politicians, in fact, I wish a lot of politicians would listen to the grassroots of what people are actually saying on the streets. Oh, what, one more question to you. And, and really, I, I should have asked you this question about 20 minutes ago. In terms of the rates of child poverty, 41, 42% of Brummie kids are in an impoverished household. If we go back to the slum clearances of the 50s and the 60s, have we regressed all the way back? Did we have that level of poverty back then or was it greater or was it less? A couple of points there, one on terminology. I won't use the word slum because my mum came from seven back of six White House Street, Aston. And if you'd have said she'd come from a slum, you'd be on the floor. Bad housing and insanitary districts. In the 60s, there was a, a powerful play on BBC called Cathy Come Home. And it highlighted the forgotten people. There was a book that was called The Forgotten Englishman by Ken Coates and others that highlighted that made the, the persistence of poverty in the midst of the swinging 60s. And one of the things I find shameful, Roy thought, amongst many things, is that at the turn of the 20th century, even around Dickworth and Denny turned around Flunkett Street, which is now changing so drastically, out of every thousand babies born, nearly a third died before they were one. In Edgbaston, the middle-class area, it was one in ten. Still bad by today's standards, but three times as many babies were dying because they were born poor. Relatively, that gap between the middle class of Birmingham and what we might term the poorer of Birmingham is as wide today as it was then. I find that I find that abhorrent. And that emphasizes again the problems that we face with regards to poverty. It's an ongoing problem, Royfield. And this country, national governments and local governments, has failed to get to grips with poverty. Amen to that, brother. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As I said, this is something which I'm sat in a... To be honest with you, Burlington is a beautifully boring suburb outside of Toronto. When I go into Toronto proper, and it doesn't matter where I go, north, east, south, west in Toronto, I do not see the levels of deprivation and just physical underinvestment that I see in the city of Birmingham. And then I go to London, and London is a different country than Birmingham. And how skewed economically our country is to the southeast should be something all of us need to hang our heads in shame, or at least our politicians do anyway. And so I do want to come on to proposals for future finances, uh, financing of local authorities, because I, I do believe that local governance, true local independent governance is at the heart of this issue. If you look at somewhere like Germany or Italy, these are incredibly decentralized countries where councils, cities, towns, villages have much more independence to make effective decisions. But Jez, I, I want to come, come to you quickly before uh, we start, start to um, wind things down. Carl did make the point of saying that Birmingham's, your Manchester, your Leeds, your Liverpool's need to come together. It looks like, councillor, please, you might have to like, put your fingers in your ears now. It looks like we're going to be, we're going to have a new administration in 18 months time. Should at the heart of the next government of the UK not just be talk about levelling up, but actually about true local democracy so that cities can have much more room for manoeuvre in terms of raising local finance. And is this a way in which your Birmingham's, your Leeds, your Sheffield's, your Manchester's need to band together? Yeah, I think uh, Carl, Carl's absolutely right. This, we, we, in this country, all shapes and forms, we're pitted in some sorts of competition against each other. And that might be personal, it might be community, or as Carl's alluded to, this, this stupid notion of second cities. I love Manchester, I love Liverpool, I, I love Leeds, I'm doing some work in Leeds at the moment. We have great cities that have contributed to the culture of not only the UK, but internationally. We've contributed to industry, to manufacturing, to innovation, to entrepreneurship. We, are, we were a, a country that made things and exported things. And I, I, see, I do see the decline in that. And I think the wealth has been, and the power actually, it's not always about money, it's about seats of power and, and where people are, is concentrated in the south and south east. And the disparity is, is huge. I do not know, I cannot say that I've read the Labour man, man, uh, Manifesto close enough to say that if there is a Labour government, they've written it yet. I'm so, but I'm saying that they should put this in. Yeah. And again, sorry, Alex, this is not a personal attack, but I think when I look at it, when I see this, the Tory discourse around levelling up, which has singularly failed to happen, I think it was a notion that was dreamt up and actually wasn't thought through. No one quite knew what levelling up was. Some money here, some money there. It hasn't really happened. And I think, I hope... That whoever's in power, it doesn't matter to me who's in power, it doesn't matter to me who's in power, but I hope whoever's in power, there, there is a commitment to proper devolution. I think the, whether you, whoever's in power in the London mayor's office, that seems to me a, a model of practice that we could follow in terms of true devolution and that has issues of work with the council to get all that. But that seems to me, you look at London Transport, for example, what Manchester hopefully just about to do. There is much to be gained, I think, to have that devolution. Just one little thing about culture, because I'm not aware that I haven't answered any of your questions. But just on that one point about devolution, Berlin, the city of Berlin, has just increased its cultural budget to a billion pounds a year. 
that's the power that you can have when you cities or regions can have hold on to their business rates, their, their taxes, the income they, they generate and where money is devolved from, from central government. And we can do great things in this region. Councillor, shouldn't we... <laughs> yeah, sorry, Alex. Shouldn't we go back to an old model, which is where the city actually owned some key assets, uh, of which one of them is just public transport? I'm sufficiently long in the tooth that I can remember when I could get from Birmingham, I could go out to the powerhouse in, in central Birmingham and get home for 50 pence on the bus. Whilst that might seem somewhat frivolous, if I, I fast forward this to 2023, that meant that if I was working, let's say at a relatively low wage job at one end of the city, at two o'clock in the morning, I could get home for a pound as opposed to having to catch an Uber or something or another. And, and so in terms of people at the bottom end of the economic scale, isn't something like, let's take the buses back, let's have public transport back, going to be a great way for business to have a more mobile workforce. So you, we can argue this in terms of just commerce and capitalism. But I think one of the ways that this city is going to really fulfill its potential is that all inhabitants of Birmingham can get from point A to point B at 24 hours a day, as we used to in the 1980s. We seem to regress, if I just look at that, just for one example. So is this maybe one of the ways in which we can revitalise economically the city and poorer Brummies by giving them wider job opportunities by having cheap, cheaper public transport? Council. You ask a huge question. I think there's three things I just want to kind of touch on, really. So the first is absolutely changing behaviours from literally your time to where people's habits are, uh, decentralisation of uh, town centres, city centres, and often people are working from home, right of the high street. So these all things play into consideration, as well as Birmingham Cleaner Zone. So we'll be trying to reduce the number of people who are driving into town without, I would say, having the public transport network in place. And that's what the uh, West Midlands Met and the streets tried to do with the Thames, tried to bring the, the networks together. So that's one overall point. The second, in terms of uh, what's been said around evil Tories, austerity and cuts, I think it, it's important to bear in mind that, to be fair, Alex, Jez didn't call you Tories. No, I'm just thinking in generalisation. <laughs> it's it that gets thrown at me a huge amount and, there's a huge amount of hate on social media. It's not like I'm a conservative because I want to stop milk going to babies. It's not something that I want to wake up every morning reading in my social media. But the, the fundamental grounding point on all of this is that you would always eventually run out of someone else's money. And what I point to with every time someone says that I've got council cuts and I've got austerity is the fundamental fact that Britain at the moment, its national debt is some £2.5 trillion. And the interest on that, I think, is £100 billion. So that's about 10% of the total income that the government gets that goes out in interest. And crucially, it's still going up. So the amount of money that the government is getting in is less than the money it is still spending on key services and defence and education and, and health. But, but isn't one of the... And I, I don't want to make this, let's bash the Tories, though. But isn't that now seen as being short-sighted, what we did in 2010, which was austerity, to say that we are going to pay back the debt at um, a rate which economists says we didn't have to at all. We still could leverage um, borrowing and gilts and bonds and raise enough money, 
But Osborne said, we're going to pay down the debt. And the death spiral has been for metropolitan areas where poor people are denied basic services, which they used to have because that cap on central government finance coming back into the city. So actually, the problem then just becomes exacerbated. And it's even trying to do those measures, we were still unable to pay down the debt. And of course, something like COVID came along to everybody's banners into the work. The tax within the UK is one of the highest in, in the G20. And it's around a combination of those things. So reducing spending, making sure that money's been spent more efficiently, increasing taxes, trying to grow the economy. Of course, it's a combination of all these things. And within Birmingham, so yes, there's been a huge amount of budget cuts, but the council has actually managed to do relatively well with the amount of money that it's done. And lots of other councils have had huge cuts to their services mm-hmm. and they still managed to do so huge amounts of their, to their budgets, reduce the services and actually still managed to balance the box. Because there is a waste. But, but as a nation, we are getting poorer, though. If we take Birmingham out of it, our performance and our levels of poverty compared to other comparable countries since 2010, as most definitely, we, we have declined. Carl, you wanted to uh, jump in. Yeah, give us our freedom back. Let's break the shackles of Westminster. Let's be in control of our own destinies. The greatest leader in Birmingham's municipal history was Joseph Chamberlain, mayor for three years, a capitalist, a businessman, but he was also the man who inaugurated a policy of municipal socialism based on the beliefs of George Dawson that a great town is a solemn organism through which should flow all the noblest, truest and loftiest ambitions of people, that it should provide all the facilities for the welfare and well-being of its people. We had our own gas company, electric company, transport company, water company. We again were buffeted by both parties. Labour nationalised most of those utilities and under Thatcher they privatised them. And now where do all the profits go? They certainly don't come back to us. If we had that money in this city, we wouldn't be reliant upon handouts from London or commissioners coming to tell us what we have to do. We would be our own people. And I would hope through municipalisation. And I know people might say, look at the mess the council's made. But if we're in charge of more of our facilities, then I would hope that more people would vote and more people would enter local politics. Call me an idealist, I probably am. But we have to take back freedom. But we tried it many years and many times. And we all... Where is Alex? Where is it? Local authorities don't run things well. The government How do you know that we did run things well in the 19th and early 20th centuries? We ran them very well under Labour and Conservative, under a Conservative administration in Birmingham in the 1920s and 30s. We built more contracts <laughs> under a Conservative right. local administration than anywhere in Europe. You know what? Again, I'm going to make this like, because Alex, you've agreed to come on to the show. And Sorry, um, I really applaud you for that. But I think you could make the argument that we've had 40 years now of selling off civic national assets and actually all it's really done is to drive up wealth inequality and poverty. And I I think that's incontrovertible if we look at the data. So maybe we need to go back to some kind of mixed model. Jane. Sorry for interrupting you, Alex, Alex, earlier, Raj. Roy, it's Phil. Yeah, people get heated about these things because it really matters. I mean, absolutely. What, what strikes me is that local authorities 
like Birmingham play such a crucial role in our lives, in our democracy, in the public services we use, responsible for funding adult social care for kids and for adults, for providing local services from libraries to, in some places, bus routes. And I'll talk about that in a second. And yet they get uh, far less attention until things go disastrously wrong than they, they desperately need. And part of that is because of the scale of cuts that have been imposed. We touched on earlier the reduction in staffing. Just mentioned 55,000 council staff. There are now 10,600 staff at Browning City Council. And of them, nearly 1,000 have just applied for a mutually agreed resignation scheme. They won't all be granted, but the, the council is going to shrink again, probably to 9,000 staff, I would guesstimate, to run a city that serves 1.1 million people. Councils are right now dependent on central government support. And the reality is that places like Birmingham have suffered the most from the austerity cuts. We are relying more and more on our own citizens funding council services. And unfortunately, many of them can't pay. There's a £20 million gap at the moment in our business rates um, payments um, because so many businesses are struggling to meet um, their commitments. Um, I think there's about £2 million owed in, in unpaid council tax, again, from residents who can't meet the payments that are being asked of them already. So we do need to drastically rethink this. We can't carry on as we are especially when many of the policies that councils are having to, to follow through are being set in Whitehall. And that's done because they want to get rid of a postcode lottery. And I absolutely believe in that. You should have an equitable service wherever you live in the country. You should have the same access to the same provision. It's just blatantly not happening. And, and it, it's so clear. I look ahead to the future in Birmingham. We have 35 or 37 libraries in Birmingham. There won't be 35 or 37 libraries left when, when the cuts kick in. Providing a library service is a statutory requirement of a council. Providing it out of library buildings isn't. And I think it's pretty clear that they won't all survive. They're required to collect our bins. It doesn't say how often they have to collect our bins. And it, I think Alex touched on, almost certainly we're going to have a fortnight bid collection in Birmingham off the back of this. So there are things councils have to do that they are required by law to do, but there is just no protection for a, for a council like Birmingham that has so many people on the margins that it that rely on some of those services. That's not going to get any better with this financial, local financial crisis to deal with. The government needs to step up and I believe it, it does need to show more support for the residents of Birmingham who are going to suffer because of uh, what's coming down the track. Jez, then I'm going to do a final question for everybody to answer and then we'll wrap up, Jez. Mine's a very quick point. It's just say that what's going on in Birmingham, the financial crisis in Birmingham is really bad for Birmingham, but it's also really bad for the UK. We have to think more broadly than that because we should be, or we are, one of the, we are, you know, the largest population in terms of uh, the, our output. So it's not just about the people in Birmingham. Of course, that's first and foremost, but it's bad for the UK. And I, I agree with Jane that you'd hope whoever's in government would step in and go, actually, we can't let this fail because it's not about whoever's at fault at the moment. We can deal with it after. It's about the people in Birmingham, but more broadly about the, the UK 
and its productivity and its manufacture and its output, et cetera. It just trying to bring some of the points together. It's called idea and trying to municipalize the, the city. I think that's unfortunately long gone because where we are right now to try and find 76 million or up to a billion pounds, we're going to have to sell a shed load of assets. And as Jane says, it's going to dis the most vulnerable. So the most people who need the council services to support the most, we will absolutely be um, affected disproportionately. And this is where, as I say, we're at the start of a journey. So right now we are looking at going through the motions, waiting to see for council to actually ask for the bailout first from government to actually know how much money it needs to try and sort the decisions out. And then hopefully, and I want to move on from accountability, how this has happened, who's responsible, let's get the lessons learned. Let's actually point and work out who was responsible for this and why this has happened. And then we can all move forward to actually trying to protect the services, trying to make sure that we minimise the impact. And as you say, the services and the reputation of the city moving forward for many years. And as you say, it's not just bins and libraries, it's community grants. It's the, those who are doing very good work on the back of grants and money from councils and support and services. It's, the ramifications are going to go on for many years and it's going to affect thousands of families for generations. We haven't talked about the third sector at all and how that's going to be decimated by the, the lack of funding which is going to go to it. And they've been suffering since, 20, since 2010. And for shame, the fact that we've talked in this conversation about food banks. Again, okay, I'm 54, but when I grew up, there were no food banks. How have we got to a situation whereby we see it as normal that we have food banks to feed a, purport, a significant proportion of our population? But here's the last point from me, and then we're going to wrap this up. I'm a, a total committed urbanist, and it's part of the reason why I, I'm in Toronto, I'm in San Francisco, Oakland, etc. I love cities. And that love of cities has fundamentally been instilled in me because I, I am a Brummie. I, lo- I like people living cheek by jowl. I like urban culture, however it's manifested, whether it's to do with music or whether it's to do with art or even just a vibrant high street. The government has talked about the fact that we need to have a, a mass house building program. And there was talk of putting houses on greenfield sites. And, and there's always pushback about that. Is this possibly an opportunity for the city of Birmingham with the amount of brownfield sites we actually have within the city that the city can be selling those off to developers? And if we were to have a massive home and business building program, that this is a key way that the city could actually get itself out of a hole. That number one, we're going to bring more people in, into the city, give them decent homes. There's, there's going to be work for people building this and the city government is going to get increased revenue by number one selling brownfield sites as opposed to selling the council house which is a a proposal and then with increased kind of business rates and property taxes jez i'm gonna let everybody answer with this i'm an urbanist so i always believe in building in cities is actually the, the solution so that's my biases but jez then we'll do you carl then we'll do alex and then jane you can have the last word jez Forgive me, I haven't digested this yet, but there's a, a really interesting report uh, that has just come out uh, from the Economy 2030 inquiry. It's called A Tale of Two Cities. And part one is about Birmingham, part two is about Manchester. And what it, it's, a, it's a fairly coherent, it came out like yesterday or today, I think, um, to hear a coherent analysis of the, of the city uh, and its relative low pro- productivity um, levels, the earth growth. And it offers uh, a number of suggestions. Now, this is not particularly around the city council, but this is around 
what you said earlier about private, public and third sector working together because collaboration is the way out of this. And to assume some of uh, Carl's uh, earlier uh, concerns, which you absolutely right to have, their, their analysis is that actually you, we need to attract high value uh, tradable services. For that, we need more office and incubator spaces in the city centre. We need to build better housing to attract workers and to attract and retain graduates. And by doing that, and then you have an, you build an integrated uh, transport system around that so people can commute in and out. Um, by doing that, it actually, in terms of the lowest um, financial threshold of, of, for people in Birmingham, doing those things, it doesn't get rid of inequality, but it raises the household finances by about seven times. So you start lifting people up is, is basically the answer. Now, this is this is a much more nuanced report that no, I, I've just given. It's a think piece. There are he talks in detail about the city, about under productivity. He talks about how we may imagine the city might uh, develop, and it, it it was written just as the bankruptcy notice came out. There are people thinking about this, and we will come through it. We we need to have a bit of a vision and do some joined up thinking, and not just be totally reactive. I'm not supposed to call you councillor, but Alex, what's your last point? I think yeah, absolutely, we need to build more flats, more houses in the inner city areas to try and create that urban density communities. We really need to do better at that. And Birmingham is starting to do that. What we're seeing, unfortunately, is a lot of land has been sold to developers and then they sit in the land bank and they don't actually do things with the land that they've been given. There's also things around, as you say, brownfield sites. First, absolutely, we want to try and protect our green spaces to try and create that more, the, the, the communities within inner cities. And I think we are starting to do that. But because of, as has already been alluded to, the first equal pay settlement in 2012 under the coalition. So yes, a lot of the assets in the land and, and the things have already been sold off and lots of the things, the fat has already perhaps been cut from councils and buildings and estates. So it'd be very hard to see actually where we are going to find extra money. Whatever hasn't been done already is already cutting very close to the bone. So I do fear for the future. I don't think land uh, is going to be the real way of selling this forward. And of course, we have to remember every time we sell an asset, we're losing the income from that. Like the NEC. So when we sold that, we lost 41 million quid in rent a year. So we are going to see a difficult period moving forward. And I think we're going to need a combination of a lot of, uh, a lot of suggestions and a lot of people coming together to work together to take the city board. But the thing is, if you do sell brownfield sites and just underdevelop bit, bits of land, you sell it, you get the cash hit. And then when those properties, when those businesses then are developed, you do get the property and business taxes. So it's not completely a cut off. But Carl, then Jane, and then we're going to wrap this up. Three very quick points. First of all, I agree with you, Roy Field, about the need for more homes, but homes for families. We've got enough apartments. We need to build homes and communities for young people, for working class people. And brownfield sites is one way forward. Jez, your point is really an important one as well. We have a lot of success with drawing in accountancy firms, banking firms and legal firms. What they really need to do, though, is reach out to the rest of the city so that our youngsters are getting the jobs in the future. That's the way we will really improve things. And I want to finish up with one point with that there's been a lot of talk about the sale of what I would call not historical buildings, but historical assets. And I think the council can take some blame here for the lack of vision they've had with regards to certain historical assets. Bolton, Watson, Murdoch. I'm always pro the working class, but we can't avoid Bolton, Watson, Murdoch. 
I had a Japanese professor comes at me and say, Carl, in Japan, this would be a site of pilgrimage St. Mary's and Hansworth. In Birmingham, we've got a statue of three men with nothing around to say who they were. Why not reach out to Jamaica, to little Birmingham in St. Anne's Parish? Name, because Joseph Sturge, a Birmingham merchant, bought land for free slaves so they wouldn't be tied to their former masters. Reaching out to Maypur in Kashmir, where so many of our Pakistani descent people come from. Preaching out to Saleti in Bangladesh, to Jalunda in the Punjab, to Athan Rai. We hear the Irish at, at the Rugby World Cup singing the fields of Athan Rai. How many people know that the barons of Athan Rai were the, the, descended from the second son of Peter Birmingham that started Birmingham's growth? We have failed measurably to capitalise on our history and our historical assets. Jane, I don't know how you're going to follow that. But you know what? Talk about getting the uh, the crowds to the barricade to defend Birmingham. But you have the honour of go- going last. Do you know what? I could listen to Carl all day. Um, he manages to evoke a kind of real desire to do exactly that, to save Birmingham and to stand proudly together and say this is a, an amazing city and um, we need to capitalise on it. I think we're in danger of perhaps losing that in the current kind of rush to self-flagellate really and say what a terrible council we've got or what a terrible situation we're in and we need to really be careful not to take that too far we do need to hold people to account but I hope that what emerges out of this is a new way of providing services to our communities that's a lot closer to our communities that's more down in the dirt with them where we have got a much a much closer connection between council services and, and the people that are provided there has been a an approach because of austerity cuts to shut lots of local offices and local provision. I hope that as part of this, we we get back neighbourhood hubs that perhaps provide multiple services in one place. The library and the, the housing office help with charitable causes, mental health issues. We have some on the ground preventive stuff all housed in one place. There's It's not rocket science to suggest that Doing that in hubs in every neighbourhood would be a lot cheaper to run than the current services. When we shrink, we can sometimes come up with solutions that are really positive and lift our city up. I'm optimistic that this can be a precursor to, to change that we will celebrate. But Couldn't agree with you more. That there is keeping community spaces is going to be incredibly important for the identity, for the soul of the city moving forward. It's incredibly important if you're um, a single mother with a child that you have somewhere to go. It's incredibly important that we hang on to these wonderful Victorian buildings because they're part of our heritage. There's no reason why in a library we can't put some council services, make it a neighbourhood office, put a Costa Coffee in the corner, let private enterprise actually pay for the the electricity there so that people can come and inhabit these spaces. And if you're an old bugger and you can't afford the newspaper, you can go down there, read it, have a cup of tea next to somebody else and, and actually be part of the community. We can actually reimagine many of our council assets, our civic assets. We don't need to sell them all off. Get a Costa Coffee in there. Open it up. I think, Royfield, we'll see that happen. And the city's got something like 150 to 200 warm welcomes. They repurpose some of these buildings to basically provide a warm welcome last Christmas and, and, and over, over the winter to essentially say to people, if you're struggling, here's a place you can go for it for a couple and a chat. 
And some of those have been really successful. There are ways forward that you can do things that are positive, but but it does take some vision and that's what we need the council to have. Again, just today, uh, an organisation called Save Birmingham launched uh, and it's uh, a number of organisations like the Community Land Trust, West Midlands Cooperatives, Cooperative Futures, the Plunkett Foundation. So it's a third sector. Absolutely what you've just said. I was remiss me not to remember this uh, about how the community can, communities, however you define it, can help to offer solutions, can can create or uh, hold on to community spaces and places, which is going to be crucial as we go forward. So that all the things that you We've all just said, but there's actually Save Birmingham. So I don't know if you saw it today, Jane, but maybe have a look. Um, yeah, I spoke to them last night. They, they're great, a great bunch. Yeah. It's very important you said there just because I realise that my dream of municipalism is, is outdated and probably will never happen. But mutualism and cooperation can happen. On that note, I have to wrap up. Councillor Alex Yip, thank you for coming on to the show. Professor Carl Chin, it's been an utter pleasure to meet you. Jane, uh, the woman who was recommended to me at least six times when trying to put this panel together. Jane Haynes, thank you for coming on. And, and Jez Collins, we should have another beer next time I'm back in Birmingham. We will be resuming with our regular uh, programming output on Friday of this week when the panel will come back. We're going to look at the US government shutdown and we're going to look at a UK news item, which at the moment, I don't know what it is, dear listener, but we'll choose that tomorrow. If you've liked this deep dive into the politics, the mismanagement, and maybe some hope for the regeneration of my hometown, Birmingham, if you like this kind of deep dive, please send me an email at royfield at gmail.com and tell us what topic you would like us to cover, and I'll put together a brains trust, a panel. I don't know if they'll be as good looking or as erudite or as smart as this panel, but I'll try my best. I'll try my best. And what I really do want to foster with, with Mid-Atlantic is not only a belief in, in urbanism and a concern and an interest in US and UK politics, but, but also for this to be a two-way conversation. So you can email me and say, why don't you look at this? And I'll try and uh, find people who can maybe answer your questions. It's royfield at gmail.com. We are on the socials. I don't really use them that much. But please give this show a little bit of a retweet when I do put out the notice of this episode. If you can, go to Apple iTunes, write a review. That is the best way that I get new listeners onto the show. Give us a five-star review if you think we think we deserve it. And, and that is a way that you can support everything that we do here at Mid-Atlantic. Don't forget, councillor, you might want to close your ears now. Left of centre politics is right-thinking politics, but we don't demonise our right-leaning brothers and sisters. We just try and win them over the strength of our argument and with the fact that in the last 40 years of neoliberalism, wealth inequality throughout the world has increased. There you go. I've been Royfield Brown with Councillor Alex Yip, Professor Carl Chin, Jane Haynes and Jez Collings. This has been Mid-Atlantic talking about Birmingham my hometown. Take care. Look after yourselves. Bye bye. It's a Brompton. It's a Brompton. Now this is what is the East, this is the West. It's a Brompton.